the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning, and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here, we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, Please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated. That's a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well... Is this going to be another rainy Saturday? Well, maybe so, but I don't think so. At least it'll be warm. Spring weather has warmed up nicely. Uh, All we have to do now is to schedule the rain for the weekdays. And that's so we can be outside and enjoy the the hours in the lawn and the garden and and the weekends. But even with the showers, even if it does rain, little showers this weekend, we're still planning for the barbecues that we could fit in between the showers. And the important thing is to have some fun time outside this weekend. It's beautiful out there. You're missing a lot if you don't enjoy it. Uh, I put out some oranges this week, hopefully, to attract some Baltimore Orioles. I saw one several weeks ago, and I put some oranges out there, but I I haven't seen them since, so I'll give it one more try. I hope he's listening. <laughs> and as we, as we relax this weekend, maybe we can work on our financial plan just to make sure that it's on track to help meet our financial goals. This week, global equities were mostly positive. Driving the advance was uh, data signaling uh, a uh, 
fresh acceleration in the world economy, you know, with the UK and the European Union and Asia all up, as well as the optimism over the prospect of additional interface spending in the U.S. In the longer run, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. But it did have an impact on the, the market this week. The Standard & Poor Index set a new high on Friday of 4,280.70, or up 2.7% for the week. The new economic data this week from consumer spending, home sales, and both existing as well as new homes, also manufacturing durable goods orders, all that information, all that uh, data has been good. And when I say good, I'm taking into consideration the problems in the economy. What we're facing is higher prices, certainly for houses, uh, shorter inventory, and, and basically houses, uh, price increases for just about everything because basically the demand is coming on, on strong, whereas the supply is... Uh, uh, it's taking time to, to gather itself to meet the demand. So in that particular case, uh, you have uh, companies trying to get their supply chains uh, revved up, and uh, uh, basically that gives the supplier the leverage to be able to say, well, uh, we can't give it to you when you need it. We can give it to you in pieces and parts, and uh, there's going to be an extra charge for that. So. <laughs> That's just a way of life in a situation like this. And also, we have the lack of skilled personnel. And, you know, we've got uh, millions of people out of work. We've got millions of job offers. And it takes time. And, and time will tell in terms of getting these people into the right niches and back to work again. And uh, uh, helping it all along is consumer spending. Uh, even if it, if it means uh, spending the savings. So all in all, it's good news this week for the markets. And if we take a look at some of the things we talked about already, it's uh, uh, the report from the uh, Commerce Department in their personal income and outlays for May, uh, household uh, personal income fell uh, 2% from April. And that means a decrease of... Uh, $414.3 billion on a seasonably adjusted annual rate. Uh, but in spite of a, of a decrease of 2%, consumer uh, uh, spending, as measured by the personal consumption expenditure, increased uh, just a little over uh, uh, one-tenth of 1%. You know, it's basically almost flat, but it increased a little bit, or 29 $2.9 billion uh, from uh, April. The decrease in personal income in May primarily reflected a decrease in government social benefits. Social benefits decreased as uh, economic input, impact payments made to individuals from the American Rescue Plan of 2021 continued, but at a lower level than in April. So the 2.9 billion-dollar increase in uh, personal spending in May reflected an increase of uh, uh, $74 billion in spending for services that were mostly offset 
by a $71.5 billion decrease in goods. Within services, the increases were widespread, led by spending for recreational services, food services, and accommodations, as well as housing and utilities. The decrease in spending on motor vehicles and parts was a leading contributor to the decrease in uh, goods for May. And if you look at the, uh, let's say, personal income fell 2% in May from April, uh, and that was basically due to the reduction in the, uh, or the tail off in the government stimulus. It was, uh, you know, put out at the uh, first part of the year. And uh, uh, if we take a look at the spending in April, we see the spending in April uh, was increased from, uh, increased to nine tenths of 1% increase from a three Previously reported five tenths of a percent. Household spending, basically, what you're seeing there is a rising vaccination rate, uh, ample uh, household spending from the government stimulus. Uh, customers are going out more as states and cities lift their restrictions. But basically, what you're seeing is a, is a uh, balance between the the, uh, the report in April and the report in May were one was down a little bit, May was down a little bit, and then April rose a little bit. So this spending has helped propel the broader U.S. economy, which, if you take a look at the latest, uh, well, they're not the latest, they were the first quarter results, where uh, the economy grew at 6.4% annually in the first quarter. And Americans, Americans appear to be shifting their spending from the big ticket items to goods and services related to going out and enjoying life. So, although people spend less on auto, furniture, electronics, and building materials in May, they raise their spending on restaurants, clothing, health, and beauty shops. So, um, they're, they're basically, even though they Income has gone down a little bit. The spending is still there. And uh, the pay has also increased in a lot of areas, particularly in the lower-wage worker area. Uh, Pay has risen rapidly as employers seek to fill jobs in the tight labor markets. And the average weekly raise in uh, leisure and hospitality were up 10.4% in May from February of 2010. You know, that's according to the Labor Department and basically reflects, hey, if you're a business owner or a corporation and you're seeing customers come in and then leave empty-handed, that means that uh, there's no profit and it dawns on you pretty quickly that uh, you need to, if if the goods aren't there because of the lack of personnel, then you have to go out and get the personnel, and that means uh, uh, paying a little bit more. So uh, the people that are unemployed do have an opportunity in there to get out and see what the uh, see where the opportunities are. In other words, I think uh, last month we saw from the uh, jolts, uh, the job openings and labor turnover report, that there was something like. Uh, uh, 9.3 million 
job openings posted uh, for, I think it was April. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of opportunities out there. And if you're waiting for your old employer to call you back, maybe you better just, uh, uh, you know, uh, get out there and see what's available. Uh, you can go to Indeed and other uh, places that uh, specialize in, in placement of personnel and see what's going on. See where you can maybe change your career. With uh, retail sales hovering near record highs, consumption has been shifting towards services. And uh, services are the biggest part of the economy. You know, and adjusted for inflation, goods outlays fell 2%, while spending on services flying four-tenths of uh, 1%. So declining outlays for merchandise was uh, led by the biggest drop in durable goods spending since February. Now, the Federal Reserve is watching all this, and... uh, you know, watching increases in home prices and increases in just about everything. And uh, uh, they have to keep an eye on inflation. Uh, the Federal Reserve's aims for a 2% annual inflation to keep the economy growing at a healthy pace. But uh, their chairman, Jerome Powell, uh, said earlier this week that the increase in prices had been larger than central bankers had expected. And they proved more persistent and made the drag on longer. In other words, basically, they talked a month ago or even six weeks ago, they were talking about, okay, uh, inflation is here, it's uh, gaining, but it should be over by, uh, it should be over as the economy comes up to speed, the supply chains come up to speed. And uh, should the, the inflation should be transitory and possibly be over by the end of the year. But, you know, now they're talking about maybe uh, the early part of next year. Nevertheless, repeated his view that shortages, including used cars, computer chips, and workers, will fade over time, bringing in, in inflation closer to that 2% target that they have there. Well, in talking about inflation, the Federal Reserve looks at basically two two quantities to measure inflation. One's the consumer price index, and that's where you have a basket of uh, goods, including um, uh, rent and and, uh, food and gasoline and just about everything you can imagine. And uh, for May... Uh, they posted the results that show that um, year over year, for instance, the PMA, the price increase over the last uh, 12 months was 5%. Now, if you take away the food and the fuel uh, impact, you, you have uh, something called what they call core CPI, and that went up uh, only 3.8%. So, they, they they like to take out food and fuel because they're volatile and because basically there's nothing the Federal Reserve is going to do to change uh, food or fuel prices because they're basically international commodities. Uh, the, other, the other inflation measurement that the uh, uh, Federal Reserve uses 
is the personal consumption expenditure deflator, and that's favored by them. They think that's the best one, uh, but they always compare that to the CPI, and uh, that's put up by the Department of Commerce in their uh, personal income and outlays report. And for May, what it shows is that the uh, personal consumption expenditure year over year, in other words, for May over the last 12 months, and it came out to be 3.9, and that's uh, comparable to the 5.0 increase over the last 12 months for the consumer price index. But then they also have a core personal consumption expenditure where they throw out the food and fuel, and uh, that came in at 3.4% over the last 12 months you know, versus a you know, that's comparable CPI number would be 3.8%. So what you're seeing is that the uh, personal consumption expenditures numbers are a little bit less than the um, CPI numbers because uh, one of the reasons that the consumer or the Federal Reserve likes the personal consumption expenditure is that you can make substitutions of items you know, if one item goes up too high, then you substitute another item like chicken for beef and stuff like that. So it's more variable. And uh, if you take a look and say, okay, what has the uh, Federal Reserve seen, uh, let's say since January, uh, what you see in, in January, the... Uh, uh, the uh, Personal consumption expenditure numbers came in at an increase of 1.5% over the last uh, uh, 12 months. And then in February, they increased uh, to 1.6%. And then in March, they increased to 1.9%. And then in April, they went up to 3.1%. And then in May, they went up to 3.4%. So obviously, there's a trend there, and the trend is up. So will it continue to go up? Um, Federal Reserve saying no, that uh, uh, once the economy gets uh, working properly, uh, those numbers will come down. And uh, and basically, what what the Federal Reserve does is look at both of them and uh, use one to check out the other one. And uh, they said, the Federal Reserve said, that they're going to keep the rates low uh, because they uh, they feel that the inflation increase is uh, transitory and it'll be down close to 2% by either the end of the year or early uh, next year. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, time will tell. So uh, you just uh, make your investments and you keep your eye on the inflation and see what's happening in all the different areas. Uh, one of the things we see, you know, in terms of um, consumer pricing and the consumer buying power is that the consumer really has been funded by the government. Those people that are working are, are basically putting... Uh, their paychecks in their savings account. Those people that are unemployed are using the uh, 
the stimulus payments to basically keep the household together. But basically what we're seeing is that uh, uh, the majority of the people, excluding those people that are unemployed, uh, are feeling rich. Basically they're looking around and they're saying, my bank account's going up. My house is worth uh, maybe 12 to 15 percent more than it was last year. And then it, it also had increased the previous year. Uh, my investments are going up. And uh, so now with the vaccination campaigns, uh, people are coming out and uh, uh, enjoying life again. I was just down at... Uh, uh, Bob Edmonds uh, the other day for a restaurant, and I bet it was 95% full, and the only people that were wearing masks were the servers. And then I was over at the uh, uh, Overland Hotel in, in uh, for lunch the other day, and uh, uh, it was packed, and there was nobody wearing masks at all. So, you know, so the... Uh, the end of the, of the COVID has basically reached uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, another thing we look at when we're looking around is what are existing home prices doing and home sales. And what you're seeing here is that existing home sale prices have been uh, going up dramatically. Uh, and that's this year due to the increased demand and also last year. And, uh, and even sh- an ever-shrinking supply of existing homes for sale. Uh, these price increases have started to slow existing home sales, uh, which experienced a, a slight skid of uh, 9%, 9 tenths of 1% in May. So they're basically less than 1%, which... Considering the data you're looking at, anything, you know, these are national numbers. So 1%, 9 tenths of 1%, uh, I think is basically in the noise level. So according to the National Association of Realtors, total existing home sales for May, that includes single-family homes, townhouses, condominiums, and co-ops, dropped to 9 tenths of 1% from April to a seasonably adjusted annual rate of 5.8 billion homes, but, uh, you know, but much more, uh, you know, the prices climb. Uh, the, the number of sales increased dramatically uh, year over year. So the number of sales were down 9 cents of a percent in May from April. But the number of sales were up 44.6% from a year ago. Now you have to take into account that basically that's when the that's when the right around there is when the uh, the COVID really got rolling. In other words, basically, if you look back to March and April of 2020, the whole government, the whole economy uh, was basically shutting down. So. Uh, May is still, you know, it's still part of it. So you're going to see low data, low, low numbers there. Uh, uh, Lawrence Young, who is the chief economist of the uh, uh, National Association of Realtors, gives some insight into what's going on there. And quote, 
home sales fell moderately in May and are now approaching pre-pandemic activity. And he said, uh, and lack of inventory continues to be uh, an overwhelming factor holding back uh, home sales, but falling affordability is simply squeezing at some uh, first-time buyers totally out of the market. Basically, the prices are going up. People can't afford it. Um, the uncontinued at the market outlook, however, is encouraging. Uh, supply is expected to improve, uh, which will give uh, uh, buyers more option and help uh, tramp down record high asking prices. In other words, in this area, I've had clients who, who uh, put up their houses and ended up in for sale and ended up in a bidding war. And, uh, uh, and it ended up with uh, increases of uh, more, uh, uh, $50,000 or $60,000 more than the asking price. So uh, it's a seller's market out there. We all know that. Uh, the law of supply and demand has led to sharply increased home prices and the median existing home price for all the types of houses, the condos and Single family in May was $350,300. And that was up a whopping uh, 23.6% from May of 2020. In May of 2020, that median price was $283,500. So it was up 23.6%. Uh, so uh, it's pretty high. <laughs> Excuse me. Right now, uh, you're looking at uh, a housing market. It is very tight. It has very low inventory. Hopefully, the end of this COVID, if people become more, uh, getting out more and getting used to having people come in in their houses and inspect their houses, will cause more. Houses, <laughs> excuse me, more houses to go on the market. So uh, there is an end in sight to all this low inventory and increased housing prices. So you can give us a call. Our toll free number is 1 888 281 1110. And uh, <laughs> if, I, if I ever get over this coughing thing, I'll be able to talk to you. So give us a call at one eight 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 two eight one eight seven ten, and uh, let's talk about we can talk about the big things in the macro, but we can also talk about the the micro things that we work with our clients every day with, and uh, uh, and I hope you have a question with regard to your real your financial plan. So give us a call one eight 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 two eight one eight seven ten. Now stay tuned. I'll be right back. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. 
Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your uh, host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call as a toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Let's go to our phone. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Hello. Hello. Hi there. I'm Jim McAleese. How are you there? Oh, good, Jim. I just had a question. I'm currently renting. And would you say it's better to wait for a while with this market, or to is it going to keep going up? In your opinion, uh, I think it, it uh, it'll go up a little bit more. But uh, I think one of the things that's been holding this market up and driving, really driving the market for housing up, is this uh, COVID, and people aren't happy to bring uh, visitors into their home. Uh, and the situation has uh, uh, gotten right now to the point where, hey, uh, you know, the inventory is very low. Typically in the housing industry, um, an inventory of uh, four, let's say five or six months is is, uh, standard. And and by inventory, I mean uh, at the present rate, it would take five or six months to uh, go through the uh, number of houses. But right now, uh, that number is something like two and a half months. So the inventory of houses for sale is very small. If you go out there and buy now, uh, what you're going to end up with is a fairly high price at a fairly um, and fairly low uh, supply of houses. So what you do is say, okay, uh, what's changing? And the thing that's changing right now is the people are, are getting out more. You know, they're, they're, COVID is over as far as most people are concerned. So the idea of uh, moving around, looking at houses, putting their house on the market, I think will become more uh, more appealing. And they'll see the prices and they'll say, if I have any intentions to sell, uh, maybe now uh, I can have people through my house and through my kitchen and bathrooms and uh, not worry about the COVID. So I would wait a little bit, not too long. I mean, I'd keep, I'd keep my eye on it and say, okay, uh, is that inventory building up? And uh, uh, if the inventory builds up, I would expect the prices price increases to slow down. 
In other words, when you see a price increase of 25%, and, and I'm not saying that 25% is in the Cleveland area. That's over a national thing. And if you look at the, the Cleveland area, it's in the order of 12 or 13% per year. This year and last year, too. So, to me, those are reasonable price increases. So, what I do, are you looking at a house right now, Eric? Oh, no. No, I'm not. I had sold one a couple a while back and was renting a different uh, neighborhood to see if I'd like to live there. So, I'm, I think I'm just mm-hmm. going to wait a little while. I have savings okay. and stuff. I just was wondering. All right, and, and uh, get in touch with a, a realtor. Uh, and uh, when I when I tell my people that uh, uh, who's the best realtors, I say go go find a neighborhood just like you're doing. Go find a neighborhood that you want to live in, and go find the best realtor in that neighborhood. And uh, and go to that office and find out the uh, the best salesperson. You know, because the uh, the lister, uh, the the agent that lists you gets a certain percentage, and the agent that closes the deal gets another percentage. And if you want to motivate the the uh, agent the best way is to give them both the listing as well as uh, having do the closing. So uh, I would keep my eye on it. I'd establish some ties with. Uh, uh, realtors in, in the area that you want to live in, and uh, uh, I'd wait a little bit. You know, I'm not when I say a little bit, I don't mean two years. I mean uh, several more months until this people get used to moving around and the inventory builds up. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. You have a good day, Eric. This is Jim McAlee. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one. 888-281-1110. Stay tuned out there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Dead Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Did we have another call? Uh, we did. Uh, Everybody wants to talk about houses today. Um, Louise yeah. gave us a call, and she said being that her house has appreciated nicely over the years, she was wondering what details to consider if she sells it or gifts the house while she's still alive. Um, Louise has two children, and they would like the property, but one of them is just not really interested in it right now. What do you think, Jim? Okay. Okay. Um, it's a good, it's an excellent question because there's tax implications with regard to gifting houses, uh, Children, there's, there's uh, issues with regard to 
um, transferring the deeds, there's issues with regard to step up in cost basis of debt that allows you to uh, sidestep uh, the uh, capital gains. So there's, there's all sorts of issues there. And if you're looking, uh, if you're looking to move or put your uh, home's equities to use elsewhere by selling a house to a child or one of the kids, then you have to make sure that you've got a, the sale is at a fair market value. Otherwise, the difference between your sale price and your market value, uh, that's going to be subject to, you're going to have to declare a gift tax on that. And by gift tax, I mean uh, you're allowed to give anybody $15,000. You can sit down and go through the telephone book and give everybody $15,000. But if you give a person more than the 15000 you have to make out a, a special uh, gift form from the IRS. I forget the number of it, but you have to say, okay, I gave somebody $30,000 or $40,000. I say I gave them uh, $40,000. Well, of the $40,000, $15,000 is allowable, so you don't have to report that. It's the other uh, $25,000 that uh, the IRS once reported so they can keep track of it. So that when you die, uh, that's part of your estate, that $25,000 that you gave away today. So the other thing is, if you uh, get a house to your uh, child during your lifetime, uh, the cost basis of the house is not going to change. So, for instance, if you if you bought the house years ago for a hundred thousand, and now it's for three hundred thousand, you have basically two hundred thousand uh, dollars worth of uh, capital gains in the house. Now, in the tax laws, they, you you are you can exclude if this has been your primary um, abode. You can exclude two hundred fifty thousand, and there's requirements for this. You have to read up on this. You can exclude two hundred fifty thousand of capital gains per person. You know, like if there's uh, a widower, uh, it would be they would be able to claim an exclusion of two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of capital gains for the sale of the house, um, and that'll cover the two hundred thousand dollar capital gains. Or if there's a Couple, and that's uh, $500,000, $250,000 for each one of them. So you can you can do that. Uh, or let's say there's three methods of leaving the house to uh, your heirs. One is uh, the last will and testament. And the last will and testament, uh, you use your will to designate um, whom the house should go to and in what proportions. So if you've got money on one hand, money goes to one youngster and the house goes to the other youngster and you want to even things out, if you want to even things out. Uh, the other thing is a, a transfer on death deed. In other words, if you put it in your will, <clears throat> then uh, it has to go through probate. If you don't, and that's one of the major things that goes through probate. Uh, if, you're, if you're the average person, You've got assets, most of your assets are in uh, financial institutions, banks, uh, 
insurance companies, mutual fund companies, brokerage accounts, all those assets move by way of beneficiary forms. And uh, they don't move by way of the, the will. The will has nothing to do with those beneficiary forms. And the other things that are real property, like a house or land or something like that, that is uh, uh, that is specified in the will. And uh, uh, that says that it goes to a certain person. Okay. Uh, the way you get around, and that's one of the biggest things, generally the biggest things that goes through probate and the will is the house and, and real property. So if you don't want to go through probate, then you do a transfer on death deed. And what you go to means is you go down to the lawyer and um, he puts up a, a transfer on death deed. And uh, those are available in Ohio. And, and uh, so that uh, when you die, uh, you don't go, the house doesn't go through probate. It goes to whoever you directed on this uh, transfer on deed. Okay. Or you could put it in a trust. And it's, again, when you're talking to your lawyer, uh, you can transfer the property into a trust, which gives you the benefit of allowing you more control over the property, how it's managed, and under what conditions it can be sold. And the uh, house will remain part of your estate until your death. And uh, uh, regardless of the method you use to pass down, it will receive a, a new cost basis on your debt. So right now we have a step up in cost basis and uh, that means that if you own an asset, you bought it at a certain point in, in the past and you paid so much for it, that's your cost basis and uh, it's worth so much. Uh, again, let's go back to the house. Uh, you bought it for 100000 It's now worth 300000 There's $200,000 Let's make it make it even more. Well, let, let's make it. Let's keep it that way. Two hundred thousand worth of capital gains. Okay. Uh, if you step up in cost basis, says that the day that you die, that asset, that house, is worth three hundred thousand dollars. So if the house goes to uh, one of the kids uh, or both of the kids, uh, their cost basis is three hundred thousand dollars, so they don't have to pay any capital gains. Now, that particular part is under consideration in the, the new administration. The new administration is talking about this step-up in cost basis, and they want to restrict it. And one of the things they're talking about <clears throat> is restricting the cost up or the step-up to estates that are less than $1 million, which, you know, makes it... Makes it uh, you know, applicable to a lot of people, but certain people, uh, it cuts them off from using the uh, step-up. So whether you sell whether you sell or gift or pass down your property and transfer, uh, may uh, trigger the reassessment of the house's property taxes, so be sure to factor that into your plans, too. So there's a lot of ways you can do it. Uh, some of them involve a lawyer. Some of them don't involve a lawyer. But uh, uh, it, it is uh, an issue that's worth thinking about and really planning for. So uh, start your thinking early and start your communications with your children early. Okay? 
This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 Now, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have you seen that girl in the corner? I'd like to take her out of her chains. Cause if I had my way with you, baby, I would be changing your life today. Your eyes got me dreaming. I'll be good. Your eyes got me blind. Yeah, you know, we were talking, talking so far about... Uh, uh, this is Jim Mackley, your, your host this morning. We talked so far about uh, uh, the consumer spending, which is good news, and the other one was the uh, uh, sales of existing houses. And now I'd like to talk about the uh, uh, sale of new houses, new residential houses. And basically, hey, the whole housing market, both new houses and existing houses, has really been hot for the last two years, strictly because there aren't enough houses and there's not enough inventory. And uh, the uh, if you take a look at uh, the sales of new homes versus existing homes, uh, the sales of existing homes is about 10 times the sales of new homes, but the new homes are more expensive. So uh, what you have is the... Uh, uh, you know, um, new new single-family home construction has has really been going through some very very uh, big obstacles, and uh, the big obstacles are basically uh, increased uh, uh, pro- increased uh, lumber prices. I saw an article the other day that said uh, uh cost of uh, increased cost of lumber is at thirty six thousand dollars for the price of a new house. I don't know what price they were talking about originally. It might have been a very expensive house. I don't know, but it's it's costing more to build these houses. And also, one one thing you're seeing is that um, <clears throat> the the uh, delivery. Of uh, components for the house, the uh, tubs and toilets and and uh, furnaces and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, there's problems in the supply chain, and you can't get all this stuff when you want it, and you can't get it at the price that you thought you were going to get it at. So the builders are running into that problem too, in terms of saying, "Okay, what am I going to charge for this? I don't even know what I'm going to pay." Uh, for the components that I'm going uh, putting into this house. So what they're doing is uh, they, the um, builders are holding off longer and longer before they put the house on the market. Uh, and and uh, I'm not giving you a firm price until uh, the house is pretty well completed. So um, they're working against, you know, uh, every everything. Uh, uh, short supply of labor, uh, prices of everything is going up. Existing improved lots are getting scarce, and, and uh, um, basically, uh, what you're seeing right now is that uh, the sale of for existing home prices is down uh, 5.9%, figure 6% in May and April 
but still up 9.2% from May a year ago. So, uh, um, you know, and, uh, the demand is strong. Uh, sales of new homes year-to-date is up. For instance, if you look at January to May in 2020, uh, there were 297,000 new homes that were sold. And, and uh, if you look at those June to uh, May numbers for 2021, it's uh, 374,000. So basically 300 versus 374,000, another 74,000 homes sold. The price of a new single-family home is climbing. Uh, the median single-family home price in May was uh, 374,400. And that was basically up 18.1% from May a year ago. May a year ago was 317,000. And May, uh, past May, was 374,000. So uh, basically what you're seeing is that new home sales volumes remains well above what they were before the pandemic started. But it's becoming clear that the high and volatile price of lumber is introducing challenges to the new home buyer and in the process and just about everything else. And also what you're seeing is that a small new home buyer is maybe being priced out of the market because they do talk about, well, how much, uh, uh, what price ranges do they sell in? And basically less than $200,000. Uh, is only two percent of the uh, home sales. If you're talking two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars, you're talking twenty-four percent of the home sales, new home sales. If you're talking three to four hundred thousand dollars, you're talking twenty-nine percent. And if you're talking uh, four hundred thousand dollars to five hundred thousand dollars, you're talking twenty-one percent. So. Basically, 64% of the homes that are being sold are in the 200 to $400,000 range, which is fairly expensive. Now, uh, once you get above that, the 500 to a million, that's uh, about 24% of the houses. But like I say, less than 200,000 is 2%. And uh, so, uh, you know, the. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the demand was strong, uh, but the the inventory for new homes, the new homes that are available for sale, is at 4.8 months, which is a good number, uh, versus the 2.5 months for existing homes. So there are there is inventory, and there are choices to be made in new homes, but the prices are up there. So this is Jim McAleese. Um, you're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Morning, Jim McAleese. Like I said, you got good news with regard to housing. 
Uh, got good news with regard to consumer uh, spending. Uh, you got good news with regard to durable goods orders. You know, durable goods orders. Uh, you know, the durable goods have been going through the same throttling up of the supply chain. You know, hey, when you give a supplier an, an order, uh, and they used to be thankful for big orders, but now it means that well, we can't give it to you. All in one piece, we got to give you this, and then we got to give you that at another time, then we got to give you that another time, and besides, it's going to cost you more. So, uh, those are the problems that you're running into, but progress is being made. For instance, if you take a look at the increase in new orders uh, month to month, increase from April to May, increase in New orders is up 2.3%. But if you take a look at that over the last 12 months, from January, uh, not the last 12 months, but I haven't got to that point. Yeah, let's let's go to that point. We're running short on time here. New orders for durable goods is basically up 41.6% from May to May of last year. Primary metals, it's aluminum and steel. Uh, orders are up 46.9%. Industrial machinery, orders are up 23.8%. Computers and electronics, 8.9%. Transportation equipment, up 106%. Transportation equipment is cars, trucks, airplanes, uh, both civilian aircraft as well as defense aircraft. So, what you're seeing is that the global goods industries are doing very well. They're overcoming their obstacles, but hey, they're still moving ahead. Uh, give you an idea what the monthly increases look like. Civilian aircraft increases uh, up 27.4 percent from May to from from April to May. Uh, primary metals, steel and aluminum, 2.2%. Uh, machinery is down for the month, down four-tenths of 1%. And uh, the uh, motor vehicles are up 2.1%. And uh, the new the capital goods, which, which basically are things that are used in the factories and things of this nature, uh, they were uh, down one-tenth of one percent. But if you take a look at how much they're up for the year, they're up basically 16.3%. So you're seeing a lot of activity in the durable goods. And uh, and uh, the survey of consumers and say, hey, how is the consumer acting in all of this? What you're seeing is that the consumer sentiment really hasn't caught up. It's still for, for June, uh, the consumer index is at 85.5 versus 82.9 for May. Whereas a year ago, just before the COVID started, it was 100 and something. So um, consumers are looking, but they're not, <laughs> not too happy yet. Okay, so uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Get This Show. Well, how do you gauge your work? Not your network, not your money, uh, but your real, more of the big work. Maybe by what other people think. Uh, that might be it. What do you think? Or what's your potential? Well, you should strive to improve yourself by education and hard work and, and basically looking for opportunities. That's the question. Looking for opportunities. Here's a story that shows you you have a lot more work than you think. Now, here's a story. Before he died, a father said to his son, here's a watch that your grandfather gave him. It's almost 200 years old. Before I give it to you, go to the jewelry store downtown. Tell them that I want to sell it and see how much they offer you. Son went down to the jewelry store, came back and told his father, they offered me $150 because it was too old. The father said, take it down to the pawn shop. The son went down to the pawn shop, came back to his father and said, the pawn shop offered me $10 because it was too worn out. The father asked his son to go to the museum and see how much they would give him for the all. He went to the museum and came back and said to his father, the curator offered $500,000 for this very rare piece to be included in their precious antique collections. The father said, I, I wanted to let you know that the right place values you in the right way. Don't find yourself in the wrong place and get angry if you are not valued. Those who know your value are those who do appreciate you. So, messages don't stay in a place where nobody sees your value. So, this time, when there are opportunities all around, there's 900, there's 9 million open positions, go look for an opportunity that fits you. And, until we meet again, for more Get With Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.